0: From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai magazines, a monthly and quarterly. This episode we have Jeremy Cohen, the new artistic director of the Ojai Playwrights Conference. Talk about all the exciting plans they have with the eight new or the eight new plays being developed. Many experienced playwrights coming up here in August. The workshop process starts towards the end of July. It's one of those cultural attractions that sets Ojai apart. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Good morning, good morning from beautiful uh, Ojai. Yeah, indeed, it's going to be a little warm today, but. The uh, playwrights conference seems to be warming up a little bit as well. That it does. That it does. Yeah,
1: we are just a few days away from uh, folks arriving, and uh, you can feel the hum in the ground already. It's super exciting.
0: Yeah, I, I see you've uh, changed venues from Besson Hill to Thatcher. Are you still uh, rooming the kids up at uh, Besson Hill or how's the? Yeah. I say kids. I mean anybody under the age of fifty-five. <laughs> I feel you. I'm 50, so I feel you.
1: (laughs) Um, We are actually partnering with both Ojai Valley School, um, uh, the upper school, and uh, Thatcher this year. So uh, we're housing artists up at Ojai Valley uh, and kind of feeding them there. And that's where all the rehearsals are going to be. And then just down the road is where the performances are going to be over at Thatcher. So two amazing new partners for us this year.
0: Yeah, Ojai Valley School just got a major facelift from the fire, the Thomas fire, the famous architectural firm. Yeah, Craig up there has been, I have to tell you, who who really
1: helmed that whole transition and all the construction, he himself, the fires, his own home. It, it was a pretty intense thing, and it was really powerful to spend some time up there and think, in a time of transformation, how can we here in Ojai, in such an
0: energetically charged community, think about mm-hmm. transforming places as well? And how, how has it, I mean, I'm trying to think about... You know, years when I was familiar with the selection process and typically two hundred and fifty, two hundred 200, three hundred submissions sometimes is just overwhelming.
1: Yeah. Uh it was a lot and I, I'm I'm about seven months into the job now and uh I definitely walked in into the middle of that process, so um uh, it was an opportunity to really br- have a lot of uh, longtime voices at OPC and also bring in some new voices at OPC to be reading the plays and being in conversation with me about it as we moved towards uh, our
0: selections. And um, you have eight Eight selections? Is that what I was hearing somewhere? Absolutely. Yeah, so there are eight playwrights that we've chosen,
1: five of whom are having full workshops, so you will you would see those performances, and then three of them are writers in residence. So uh, they're with us in week one, when we're all together, reading the plays to each other, talking about the work, asking the big questions, working and rewriting uh, that week and Being in the Beauty of Ojai, of course. And then in week two, again, five of those plays will go into full rehearsals with actors. And then the other three are writers who are working on brand new plays. Uh, so we're really excited oh, about development. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, they're established playwrights.
1: Yeah, um, all, all eight of them are. I think they're, in, interestingly, they're all sort of mid-career, I would say, at this okay. point in some way. Um, and they come at writing from really different vantage points so um it's an
0: exciting mix of artists any of them you're familiar with from your experience
1: oh yeah definitely um i'm we're kicking off the festival with uh, a writer named Mathilde dratwa and her play dirty laundry um this is a play that um we actually also workshopped um back in minneapolis at the playwright center where i work and um uh, so it's been really exciting to the, see the whole reading committee wrap themselves around this play and say, we have to do it. Um, it's a, it's wonderful. Of course, Anne Washburn, who's multiple award winner uh, in New York. Uh, this is her newest play, The Burning Cauldron of Fiery Fire, <laughs> uh, that I love so much. So that'll end the festival. Uh, and then some other writers that, are, that I have known for a long time and love, and also newer writers as well.
0: Yeah, any just surprises anybody that just bubbled up through the ether
1: well i have to tell you june carroll is a brilliant writer and actor based in la Uh, we're really trying to center as many southern california writers and artists as possible this year Um, and i think that's a big part of obc's history obviously as well um, June is a writer that I've gotten to know in the last couple of years. Her production for play blue has been just closed after running and extending like three or four times Uh-oh. in LA. And so she's coming up to work on a brand new play. So I think it's this really exciting mix of kind of LA writers, New York writers and writers kind of from throughout the country and the world. There's definitely an international feel, too, as well, I think, with Ngozi Anyanwu's play, My Name is Beatrice, we're bringing in a whole new set of Nigerian and Nigerian-American stories, especially as part of the Igbo culture, um, and I'm really excited to have those artists with us this year up here.
0: Yeah. Is this something she's going to take back to Nigeria?
1: I don't know. You know, the first, it's actually the second play of a trilogy that she's working on. Uh, The first one called The Homecoming Queen was produced to rave reviews off Broadway at The Atlantic. Um, And so My Name is Beatrice sort of is the second piece in that story. Um, And I know there's a lot of theaters that have commissioned her and love her and want to produce her work. So... I have a feeling this is going to have legs uh, here, and I hope also uh, back in Nigeria as well.
0: Yeah, I'm really just, uh, you know, I remember one year we had the MFR with the hat.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: And other desert cities, same year. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's
1: a year. Oh, wow. I would love to have been in the audience to watch those two plays back to back. Yeah, I just
0: was <laughs> just staggered. I mean, it was. Uh, I can't. uh And Andre Royo played Bubbles in oh, Choir. Oh, was gosh. And after with a hat. He, of course, it went to Chris Rock when it got to Broadway. But sure I just can. thought he was all wrapped up in that. That was just heartbreaking play. I just, I'm blanking on his. Oh, Stephen Adler Gerges. Stephen Adler-Gerges, Adler-Gerges, yeah, it was like, how fun to see him show up on that uh, The Lakers Dynasty show. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't he? I didn't even know he was an actor. But oh, he's great. God. He's got such a crusty New York effect. Yeah. Affect. He's brilliant. He's a genius, and obviously, and I
1: think under Bob's leadership and and all of that, Stephen's been a steve has been a, a long time artist, including last year um, with his adaptation of Dog Day Afternoon um, up here at Ohio Playwrights Conference. So it's been it, it's just a long time, beautiful relationship for a brilliant artist.
0: Yeah, that's what I I feel is the cultural DNA or um, legacy. Well, I hate that word legacy, but the you know the. Identity of the OI Playwrights Conference is established playwrights and first timers. Absolutely. Newies getting opportunity to bump up against each other.
1: I think that's kind of part of the magic of it, that I think the original team who created the festival, you know, 26 years ago, plus, of course, everything during Bob's tenure, you know, in terms of exactly what you're talking about, that beautiful tension between folks who are writing for a long time and folks who are writing maybe earlier in their career and also where the plays are. Sometimes you have really brand new plays by more established writers who are that are a little less front-footed than some of the others. So how can we Mm -hmm. kind of show up for each other over the course of this two weeks? Um, it, It feels so special and extraordinary. And that you can have two writers like Girgis and Robbie Bates in the same breath that might be you know, there's writers in the festival that we get to to curate um, and to and to develop and share with audiences that maybe most mainstream theaters would say, oh, I, I don't know how to, my audience doesn't know how to handle both of these writers or both of these yeah, stories. They're they very
0: different writers, but they both benefit from the process. I mean, I think it's great for these younger playwrights to see that they got to start rough too, you know. It's not like there's just these fully... It's not like athena coming out of the head of zeus or something you know <laughs> I mean, these people they got to work at it too you know they sure do they sure do yeah i really enjoy that aspect of the experience to know that you know it was like tolstoy how many times did he have to rewrite war and peace and it was mostly his wife right that wrote it all out in hand and
1: i think it mostly always is that there is a brilliant woman behind Uh, (laughs) but i do think that's i mean that's kind of what's so special about it and i think this year's festival is very much the same you know as we as this world kind of grapples right now post-pandemic with or whatever wherever we are um, with especially the performing arts and how audiences are coming back to theaters and to dance and to opera and et cetera, music, I think we're all trying to figure out, you know, what is gonna be that shift and change and um, I think there's something, you know, we don't we don't uh, go to a bookstore <laughs> and say, oh no, a new book by an author I love. I'm so scared of it because I don't know what it is. Or yeah. similarly with, you know, a new album that drops or whatever that is. And I think with theater, sometimes there's still fear of the new. And we're certainly mm-hmm. seeing an attrition that way um, in some theaters around the country as the struggle is on right now. So I think there is a very distinct and very critical place that uh, that Ohi Playwrights Conference um, sort of holds and can see forward into its future about protecting and ensuring that new stories, new content, new narratives, new artists
0: are being celebrated and brought out into the world. I think that's is very well stated. That's how I've always seen Ohi's role in the in the in the world now what, what's the continuity i mean you've got uh robert egan has been there for a quarter century he's very much identified with him and all the contacts he has around the world and phone calls he can make and people <laughs> he can lean on and so forth and that's right and uh what's that you know how is that uh, what's that like i mean it, nothing ever stays the same but what is where's the continuity where's the the changes where's the you know what are we looking at also interesting because I
1: think one of the things, I mean this is really a reflection on Bob's leadership and I think um and and Bob but I want to I, I would credit many 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 artists who have been part of the festival for years and years who have nurtured it and to me how the, the test is always but how do the artists feel when they leave mm-hmm. and I've heard from so many artists from around the country Um, that's a such a special place to me and I would love to come back and be there and be in community again. And they do. And they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And another great thing too, is like having writers like, you know, Julia Isumi, who's in the festival this year, she was in the festival previously, but only of course on zoom. And so now we get to have her in person with this new play, the last play regretfully. So the birds are, um, you know, went off, To great um, run in off-Broadway at Playwrights Horizons a few months ago Uh, so it's
0: really exciting to bring this new piece on uh, as well is there any buzz on any of these works that you you can talk about I mean like what what is the any teasers you can drop out there anything that's going to be blow people away
1: I mean I it's so hard to tell right now because I think we're also reinventing like the 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 soil is retelling itself as we speak. So what something that might have been a guaranteed slam dunk before might not be now. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, I think what's interesting about programming uh, the conference and the festival is that all of my colleagues around the country as artistic directors are also shifting and changing. So who's making decisions is also shifting and changing mm. about what plays are happening. But yeah, I I mean, I don't know. I've got a buzz about all of them because, you know, this was was five plays that were, as you said, called down from hundreds and hundreds of submissions. Uh, So it's a really, um, I think it's an extraordinary group and they all have relationships with theaters out in the world. I'm excited to see where these plays go. And I think what Bob did so beautifully, going back to your question, is how do we then Advocate. So it's great that we're doing the development part here, mm-hmm. but then how do we connect them out to the world? And that feels really critical because we want hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of audiences to see them as well.
0: Yeah. And how do you? I, I think
1: that for me has been um, uh, kind of over the last, in particular, 25 years and certainly in the 13 years of the Playwright Center, um you know, we, we started a program there called the regulars. And these were, um, you know, 125 theaters around the country who are committed to, uh, commissioning and developing and producing new plays. And we created partnerships with all of them, so as they were developing work, people now come from La Jolla, or they come from Denver Center, or they come from, you know, uh, Lincoln Center, or wherever, to develop work at the Playwright Center that they then can take definitively into the, onto their main stages. Yeah. So I think there's a really interesting set of connections, um, certainly that OPC has built over the years. Um, I think there is... I've been getting a lot of text message from artistic directors saying, "Oh, I can't wait to come this year. This is the one I want to come to, and see what's happening." So I think there's a lot. The buzz right now is, "What is this new festival going to be?"
0: Yeah, I can I can see where that would be exciting for people. Now, you mentioned other theater directors that are coming in. What? Yeah, first I want want you to take me through the whole the whole process, like. You know, who does the reading, how do the dramaturgs get signed up? What what is the groundwork for getting the the you know the people housed and and uh, you know, what's the sausage making? <laughs> oh
1: my goodness. So that's no, a big
0: big topic, but just get it started, I'll help I'll walk we'll walk you through we'll help each other out through this. and Thank I just you. know it's a year round task. It just doesn't end. It isn't just these this two weeks.
1: Yeah, well, and there's another question there, too, which is how do we expand beyond just the two weeks? But yeah, so I mean, ultimately, um, writers have the opportunity to send their work in. Um, There is a group, a hand-selected group of about... Uh, 12 to 15 really incredible theater artists, uh, dramaturgs, writers, directors, etc., cetera, uh, from around the country who participated. Sort the of same, the same group, paper. or is it a mix of uh, old hands? and? It's a mix. Yeah, it's yeah. a real mix. I've definitely brought in a bunch of new people this year as well. Um, it just felt like I wanted to have new voices and new kind of thoughts about what theater were, with, you know, and, and also some people get very busy and don't have time to do it. So. Um, so this, this group was fantastic. Um, for me, the litmus test of that is every couple of weeks that we would meet and talk about plays and argue over the plays and all of that. What I loved was hearing how that group of people were advocating for playwrights and plays. Mm-hmm. Like, I will not those leave those this people. conversation until <laughs> this play was, is programmed. Gotcha. Yeah. And ultimately, it's my decision to then go ahead and take those all those thoughts and conversations and, and
0: select the season so you make those or do you have like a tight tight uh trio or something that
1: (laughs) there's a lot of
0: material i imagine there's probably the first screening you know some of them are just not suitable for whatever reason and then you've got a bunch of them you know it's like walker percy is talking about um oh i'm gonna blank out the name of that book the confederacy of dunces Mm, mm -hmm. how this this woman who's Son had just committed suicide handed him a shoebox full of his manuscript and he's talking about when people give him manuscripts and he's there's two things that go on one it was like you can know that it sucks right away and that it's like <laughs> that's best yeah. but what's worse is when you start reading it's pretty good and then it ends up sucking and then that's the worst because you wasted all that time and then you get ones like that where he was just like oh my god what 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 is this gem what is this it's so funny and wicked and poignant and sad and Do you have those experiences?
1: Absolutely, and I think it is like great editors kind of think about with manuscripts they get submitted as well, which is there has to be a voice there. There has to be a sense of craft there. I think what I'm looking for, um, I mean, I'm looking for plays that have to be on stage. I'm not really interested in plays at OPC that could easily also just be An eight episode series or something like that. I really want something that calls people back to theater, both the artists and the audiences. And then I also think, you know, a big piece of it is it is a development opportunity. So we're never choosing pieces that are 100% done or why would they come? We don't really feel that purpose. So it's kind of figuring out actually this alchemy between like what is the calculated risk, if you were to put it that way. Yeah. And sometimes you're doing that because you believe in the play and sometimes you do that because you believe in the artist and sometimes it's both. And
0: have you seen that this year? Have you seen some plays that are maybe like really rough but there's something in there that sounds like it's wanting to be out in the world and that is a perfect fit for a development process like OHI?
1: Yeah, I mean there's plays that we're not doing this year that I also love and will be out there pounding the streets advocating for and sometimes that's just because what we offer may not be the exact n- opportunity that that play needs to move itself mm-hmm. forward. There's a there's a couple of plays that I love that had either like really extreme physical movement or music within it or uh, video and projection work in it, and I thought, I know why you want to work on that right now. Mm-hmm. That's not the set of resources that we offer. That's a different set of resources. Yeah. So I think also some of it is kind of matching the uh, the project of the play, like what is the development to come with making sure that we can be a really thoughtful resource for that person as well. And maybe make
0: some connections for them out in the world. Absolutely. In a referral machine.
1: Yeah. And that is really like, you know, part of it too is, um, You know, I mean, that's that's I think that is probably continuity from Bob to myself, which is if you spend a life in the theater, you kind of end up knowing everyone. And it is a small world. It is a small world. And also, you know, many to say, like, I don't know all the people. So for me, this is an opportunity like who else can we get to know and invite into the process to excite people about it as well. So there's the writers, but there's also some more uh, emerging directors and dramaturgs as well who are really coming into their own and for me it's an opportunity there to really listen to what the writers need and want uh, and how they want that process to go
0: well speaking of which i'm very curious about pandemic Uh, not so much content but if if there is any that people are writing about but just what changed you know what what the set of assumptions people had a sense of fragility the um loneliness and isolation was that good for some and worse for others there's a whole that's a big big topic i'd like to just kind of pick at that a little bit
1: i guess i would go two ways on this the first is more content wise i would say or thematically it's less that i'm reading a ton of plays about the pandemic there's some of it it's more that some of the best plays i'm reading right now are speaking to the idea of a kind of quiet grief that many people haven't um, been able to articulate in that sort of inscrutable way that grief exists. And I, I don't just mean sadness when I say grief, I just mean- Oh no, grief is anger too. You yeah. Know? And it's also grief is like joy of transition of letting go of things and moving into a different moment in our lives. Like, So it's really showing up in in some of the most powerful work. And I certainly have included that in the festival this year. I think the other thing mm. is that, you know, there's a lot of um, with with theaters shutting down, and then kind of as they started coming back, f- either feeling like they had so many plays that were backed up that they needed to produce, and then oh yeah, the pipelines, yeah. Oh sure. my gosh, it's so intense. So writers were hearing over and over, like, "I really love your play, but we just can't do it, or we can't yeah, do it for four I've or five years." Back
0: catalog, got to right. punt it off into the future. That's yeah. right.
1: That's right. But. So, in some ways, I would have thought that meant that writers would write two handers to create these really producible plays. Mm, but in actuality, what I'm seeing is that our best writers are actually saying, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to write towards, we're already in trouble. Let me write towards the best possible play I can write, whatever and however that is, Go and full what happens Hamilton. with great."
0: Full Hamilton, (laughs) full ham. Ham for ham, for sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just think about like, um, I don't remember. Early in the pandemic, I read a wonderful article about Shakespeare's time from 1600 to 1613 were his most productive years. The Globe Theater was shut down through quarantine plagues of various kinds, not just smallpox, but cholera and other things. 70% of the time that he was working in isolation, And I just thought, is that really, does that being cut off from other people, does that inspire people to go deeper into their own experience or is it the community? Because OHI to me seems community. It seems like, but the opportunity for these people to get out of that isolation that they were in for the first few months, especially of the pandemic and get a chance to get that fellowship again, it must be exciting and celebratory Oh, yeah, it's, but it's also what it's is it that they're bringing sure. to the what is it they're bringing back from the from the abyss?
1: Oh, what an interesting question. Well, I mean, I think part of it, the art form itself demands collaboration, you know, because that's that's how we make it happen. It's never in isolation. There's a deeply isolated piece for most generative artists, in this case, writers um, in the first piece of it, depending on your process. Um, But for most writers it's that and then there's such a desire and want and need to get into a room with people to start playing with it and hearing it and hearing Mm -hmm. it out loud. And then of course the audience is a really critical piece of that as well. It may be one thing for us in our rehearsal room to be tracking a story, but then if they're not following it, then we're missing the mark. So I do think the isolative nature of this, um, you know, again, thematically I'm sensing some real sorrow in work but i'm also sensing joy i'm also sensing freedom there's also for many writers and artists who are saying oh i was part of a system or a game that i just didn't want to be part of anymore Mm -hmm. and now things are redefining themselves so i'm going to write with more freedom actually Mm -hmm. it doesn't make the career part the productions part the business part easier that's really hard but the writing has real freedom and bravado and like guts to it right now in a way that i'm really
0: appreciating well i'm curious because i don't remember where the artist's name now but he was very jealous this is like 100 years after michelangelo but he was very jealous of the sistine chapel and he got a commission <laughs> um it was in uh, Vasari's lives of the great artists uh-huh, and uh-huh. he was a contemporary of Vasari. but he spent 11 years working on this fresco that He would not let anyone see he went into this complete isolation and he was afraid people were going to steal his ideas or whatever and then finally died before finishing it and vasari got in there to take a look and he said it was a total mess it was like the draftsmanship of every last detail was so perfect that it was so remarkable but nothing fit everything was out of Uh. proportion and perspective and it was a, a visual metaphor for what a mess this guy's mind was in the isolation for being so paranoid, not letting people out. And I just, I just worry sometimes when people, especially artists, who, you know, writers write alone, but they inspire each other in community.
1: And, and I, I think just think that did yeah. the, is
0: there a is there a price? People did people pay a price from that oh, isolation? Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. <laughs> There's a running super insider theater nerd joke where those there's a bunch of directors who would joke about um, there were like YouTube videos of stage managers calling cue sequences in tech rehearsals and we used to listen to them because we were like sound 64 lights and go and we were all like oh i'm at home again (laughs) in the dark making because i know that there are 14 people in that room Mm -hmm. and i missed being plugged in i'm saying that as a director i think for writers absolutely part of it was productions but part of it was experiences like opc where um, you are in real, as you're saying, community, intentional community with one another. The the last piece of the festival, Anne Washburn's play, is about sort of how an intentional community gets built. And some of the questions that you're asking right now about isolation, um, especially also I think about this in terms of like your bubble, who is in your bubble yeah. with you, which was a kind of crazy survivalist. Your uh, pod. Your pod, exactly. Yeah. And I think about that, um, and I just, I, this play very much explodes these ideas and, and calls into question how will we as a, as a sort of species move forward in relation to one another. I think also, I don't know, this is a super personal thing, but um, I have a twenty-year-old, and about uh, nine months before the pandemic, he had a health crisis. And so we moved into a hospital and it actually didn't seem like he was going to make it he has Mm -hmm. he's okay but there was a kind of isolation that um, i know myself my my husband and others you know felt in that moment but also that so many people that struggle with situations like this there's a kind of isolation or a kind of um feeling separate then in a way and what was really interesting is just as we were starting to come back into the world between July and finally, he started going back to school the first week of March of 2020 in his junior year of high school was the mm-hmm. pandemic. And suddenly the world was feeling Much this whole like thing was of, and this whole, oh my gosh, we're in a state of free fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think maybe as an artist, I, I, take, I, I can't leave that behind. I, that's sort of p- baked into who I am a bit now and thinking about kind of what you're talking about, which is how are we in relation to one another? And again, if, if this was a, a fiction writing conference rather than a playwriting conference, um, it might look really different. These people require that they're in space with one
0: another. Which would have been more difficult to manage. You know, novelists and so forth are used to that isolation, whereas playwrights require that camaraderie of the, of the shared space i think we're also seeing to so many to your earlier question we're
1: seeing so many artists like what's what's different on the other side of the pandemic or wherever we are and i would say that there are so many more multi-hyphenate artists so many more hybridic artists who are actors or directors in addition to being writers etc
0: oh has that changed i think so
1: i think people are coming out about it i think people are Actually kind of owning that space a little bit more rather than what we used to be told, which was you have one lane and you have to stick to that lane. So even this year in the conference, two of the plays, <laughs> um, uh, both with Ngozi Anyanwu's play and also with Julia Isumi's play, both of those playwrights are playing they're acting in their play oh, as, well as, in the as well as being the process. Yeah, they're getting on stage.
0: They want to get onto boards. Have Have they done it
1: before? Oh yeah, no, no. Ngozi is a brilliant actress, and Julia as well. Yeah, and there's others. matilda is also an actress. She's not acting in hers, but for them, it was a way of actually like getting back into the work and being in process with it mm-hmm. in relation where they're at on this draft in a specific kind of way. So. It's not only the vulnerability of a writer, but they're getting up there as actors as well. And they're
0: hearing it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your and to be on stage your, and hear audiences respond what, is different. I tell too. my writers all the time. Your ear is your best editor. Mm.
1: How do yeah. you, how for you though, have you,
0: like when you're working with writers, how do you help train their ear to what they trust? Uh, the rhythm of it. They, they know once they hear it's good, it's gonna be a cadence mm-hmm. that suits their style. And once they can t- tune into that, the words will fall into place. It's like they have an idea, and then they have an end point, and then they have a cadence or a rhythm that they pick up, mm. and then the words will come. The mm. words will come mm. from mm. that. And even if they don't, you just keep banging away, you know, until <laughs> sweat blood onto the page. I'm not a big one for inspiration and the muse and all that. I think it's a craft. You just get, you just bang away till you get it, you know, mm. over uh, and over um, and over again. Yeah, I don't think it's that. This whole, like, you know, waiting around for the, if I waited around for the inspiration, I'd still be digging graves in western New York and throwing (laughs) hay bales. and I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You just got to grind. It's a grind. Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. I just, you know, I just feel so much of that weight of that isolation starting to come up when i thought that went into the pandemic i'm like oh this is going to be just like the roaring 20s all over again oh yeah and i don't feel that no No,
1: i don't what does it feel like to you
0: it feels like we just snap right back to where we were before i don't really Mm. feel that discontinuity of an opportunity to sort of rephrase ourselves and you know new directions maybe it's there i don't know maybe i'm just having a bad day or something <laughs>
1: <laughs> well those are But i was hoping too.
0: i was very hopeful that this was going to be uh you know a discontinuity of inspiration and so forth that we get out of our tired old ways do you mean more revolutionary in terms of how
1: we sort of approach yeah i'm talking about more? like
0: i don't know i'm trying to think of some historical example like you know from mozart to beethoven you know romanticism mm. like a clean break or like Richard Strauss or something. It just got so so loud and just like starts off with these big crashing noises. And, mm-hmm. you know, just was so different than everything that came before. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know. Where is that? Is there any of that out there? Is there any? I think I mean, you're I'm much more sing- plugged into that than I
1: am. I'm definitely seeing it in theater. I'm definitely seeing it. And also something that's getting... Recognized, and I think where I'm also seeing it is also not just in New York. We've been so, some of the binaries that you're talking about, I, I totally agree with. I think one of them is, you know, New York is this place where X or whatever. And I'm actually seeing it much more in the regions. I'm seeing many more chances being taken. I'm seeing audiences who are excited to come back and see mm-hmm. adventurous new work. Um, and I'm also seeing it happen in different kinds of ways. I think where we're really struggling obviously is sort of these megaplexes <laughs> that have so much overhead built into them over the years that they were never gonna be able to sustain. It, it just was like one foot goes wrong and the whole thing was gonna go off and oh. that's where we are. So for me, my investment is about the small and mid-sized theaters, is about- So you and think I it's think, been
0: flattened out? Is that what you're saying? It's I happening I mean.
1: so quickly. I mean, you know, between CTG here in Southern California, and then you know, a number of theaters closing between then and this last Thursday, with the public la- announcing its layoff of nineteen percent of its staff in New York.
0: The so public, wow, that is the premier development company in the world.
1: Right? I mean, they're extraordinary, of course.
0: Yeah, so, so it's twenty percent. Wow, I would have figured they would ramp right back up again, aren't they? Just like don't they get just the big bunny? They just like go shake down these the. You know the patrons for yeah but it's also who's
1: coming back it's also our you know foundations philanthropically are changing priorities if audience numbers are down and that's happening and also the expenses of everything I mean that's part of the trick on this side of the pandemic is it the inflation of just what it costs to build a set mm-hmm. is twice fully twice what it used to be labors and material so it, it's just it's it's uh it's a it's a tricky, it's a tricky perfect storm moment for sure. Yeah. So how do we really lean into these yeah, extorting groups? What is Cornerstone doing? What is East
0: West yeah. Players doing? Yeah. Right? What is the road company doing? Well, you're in Minneapolis. Is the Guthrie still kicking ass? Are they still? What is that? I don't. I, I don't even. I, I don't want to. It's not my world, but I do have a friend that came up through the Guthrie.
1: What I would say about Minneapolis and the Twin Cities theater scene right now is that there are some extraordinary companies that have stepped back in. Um, Mark Valdez uh, is running Mixed Blood Theater Company now, which has done you know done extraordinary work for decades. Sarah Bellamy and her work with Penumbra, which is also mm-hmm. transformed into not only an art center but a center for healing, mm-hmm. so she's recreated a whole set of programming around it. So. I think actually the Twin Cities, because I I personally live eight blocks from the public murder of George Floyd. So my mm-hmm. also my 2020 was a, had many versions of it. But one of them was um, what it was like to live in the Twin Cities during that moment in time, what it's like now. That is a radically different shift. And you're seeing amazing companies really step forward um, with their commitment to new work. So I credit Penumbra, Mixed Blood, Theater Moo, um, and, and many others about kind of what they're working on there. In that and way. You,
0: they saw an opportunity to get something different out there. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. And they, because they've also been doing the work. I mean, this is also to say with East West and, and others, theaters of color have been doing the work for generations, for their mm. entire existence. Predominantly white theaters or white run theaters or white audience theaters are just sort of catching up and sort of making EDI statements left and right, but they ha- they haven't been doing the work. So it's an it. There's revolution all over the place right now, um, and so I'm you know coming back to Ohio, which is this incredible place of intellectual rigor and thought and po- politics and mm-hmm. all. And of it. known for seeking diverse voices. Absolutely, absolutely, and that yeah. for sure. If, if you were to look at the lineup of this year, um, At OPC is certainly the the hallmark of this festival. They
0: all look so (laughs) (laughs) fresh-faced.
1: I'll tell them that. They'll be so pleased to hear you say that. Well, you know, I mean,
0: Bill Kane is a favorite, I just thought. was so so brilliant. I hope he's still going to come back with some some of his work. Absolutely. I hope he still has an open door for his his material.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be what's so fun over the years as we continue to figure out how we're growing and changing, where are we able to bring people back? Where are we bringing in
0: new faces, et cetera, and voices as well? And what's looking, you know, we were talking about Robin Gerber's play, The Shot. Oh, yeah, of course. uh Sharon Lawrence out there doing such a wonderful job as Kitty Graham and now she just had a staging in, in Whidby Island yeah and uh what any other updates from prior plays workshop did anything out there that's like alumni newsletter type material
1: oh yeah I mean well one thing I just want to lift up um this is not the play wasn't developed but Zora Howard has been an artist uh, for uh, the last number of years mean, yeah. Uh, her new place stew just opened last night at Pasadena Playhouse and again not just because they won a Tony and because Danny's so brilliant and wonderful but I mean look at what that organization is doing they are committing to a brand new work in a very challenging moment to do it and you've got Lisa Gay Hamilton playing the lead in it and so there's extraordinary art happening here in Southern California yes I want people to come to the festival but I also want them coming to see the work that's coming out of the festival in productions I want them spending money and buying tickets so that our theaters can thrive so I I lift up Zora's play
0: uh, at Pasadena House especially because that's new and incredible I think Los Angeles gets a bad rap for you know culture and uh, you know good for a right turn on left or whatever Woody Allen said but you know, Andy Warhol got his start here at the uh, Ferris Gallery in whatever 1961. We're the first place that recognized him. And you think of like uh, uh, Rauscher and Lichtenstein, and yeah, there's a bunch of them. I think that opportunity for great art to come out of California is every bit is, you know, it's just, I don't know. I guess just getting out from underneath that cloud of like cultural inferiority or whatever oh my gosh
1: well and i do think you know we said earlier about julie isumi's play regretfully so the birds are that had this great run at playwrights horizons off broadway just now um and it was incredible because a bunch of opc people met up in new york to go see the play night after night after night so that sense of community that you were talking about it continues it's it's here in ohio and then it it wants to continue out into the world
0: yeah well, it was very fun to have two plays from Ohio on main stage Broadway for a long time. I don't even know. Maybe Desert Cities is still playing for all I know. I out there a long time, but it was just you know the possibilities that can come out of a little place like this when people are getting together. It's a, you know, it's a force multiplier.
1: It is a force multiplier, absolutely. Yeah, I felt the same way. We developed uh, some a few original workshops of Larissa Fast Horse's play the Thanksgiving play that's, that was just on Broadway, and it was so incredible to see that play uh, grow from Playwright Center where I work currently to to that move. And yet, it's interesting because, of course, writers want their work to happen. I mean, it's also where they get paid. It's also in the financial yeah. model. That's how they that's how they make money is for them to be produced. So. I am I am again seeing and I'll be curious to talk to this set of writers, this new cohort, about where they see their work, mm-hmm. where and how they want to see it happen in the world. And then what is our role here at
0: OPC about how I can pick up the phone and try to help make it happen? Yeah. So what is your background, Jeremy? We haven't talked about you. Where did you grow up and what was your introduction to the arts? Oh, my.
1: Um well, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. <laughs> I think Pittsfield when I hear that. <laughs> think like Amherst, Northampton, kind of. I grew up um, in the five college towns, so Smith College and oh, okay. Amherst and Mount Holyoke and all of that. Um, I definitely grew up in the you know uh, mid to late 70s. Uh, you know, my babysitters were taking us on Dikes on bikes marches, so I grew up. A, in the movement in the movement and it's and I would say that that hasn't shifted a bit like that activism it's still, is very much still in the air that, yeah. yeah I think if I had to choose between only making art and then giving up the rest of it I wouldn't do it because that piece of me is still it's just so critical like the the what happens of how it moves out into the world the movement of it all mm-hmm. so I grew up there kind of in a very August and Burroughs running with scissors kind of uh, oh really I love that book cuckoo for cocoa puffs upbringing and uh (laughs) were your parents hippies um yeah my dad more so than my mom um yeah for sure yeah um my brother my little brother and sister were definitely still raised in like a waldorf school on a farm like shearing sheep and all of that so that at least is it's 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 bred into us um uh but then uh i I went to college at Oberlin college in ohio um Mm -hmm. and that was massive for me um because it's such a place of um uh self-made it's such a place about being self-made and about seizing opportunity and not sitting waiting for it lena dunham went to Oberlin, right indeed she did indeed she did not
0: just her but a lot of famous alumni huh yeah well and Rihanna giddens who's just here yeah that's right that's what i was trying to think of yeah Yeah. Rihanna giddens wow that's uh Rhiannon Gins to uh, Lana Dunham, that speaks a lot to their uh, curricula. It's a it's a
1: beautiful place that really encourages creativity and also gives you the tools and craft that you need to do the work and that and I needed both craft and the place to kind of figure myself out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I spent 10 years in Chicago, I founded a theater company there called Naked Eye Theater Company uh, was in residence primarily at Steppenwolf Theater. Um,
0: oh really did you know all that crowd yeah did you know tracy Letts? yeah of course yeah yeah and who else malkovich probably would have been much before your time he was in france by that
1: point (laughs) yeah Yeah, it was a lot of this sort of great middle generation of steppenwolf there's an amazing new set of the ensemble as well Um, but martha levy was the artistic director at the time and she was heaven she was just incredible um and we were committed to doing new
0: work and she wanted to give us a space at steppenwolf to do it and she did and so you were like an uh, an adjunct or um, you were just she just took you under her wing she sure did
1: yeah and many others too Bob Falls at the Goodman was another one mm-hmm. but yeah being company in residence at places as a as an artist in my 20s was hugely foundational for me mm-hmm. um I then I was also um, a director so I was out directing yeah. the world. did you always
0: want to be behind a clipboard or was it uh, I did. I yeah, even you must have acted and done. Uh, yeah, but we can't talk about that. People,
1: people will talk about my Lil Abner performance in eleventh <laughs> grade, Brad. I can't. I can't go. You there. Can't uh, <laughs> open it up for yeah, the black
0: possible blackmail.
1: Oh anything. my God! There's so much possibility. It it just begins there.
0: uh But then I I moved to. I was asked well, why. If- what was there an inspiration? Was there a mentor or somebody that just made you feel like this? Oh, was I'm more comfortable here.
1: Yeah, you know, I was away studying at the O'Neill. Actually, my entire junior year of college, uh, studying under a British director named Richard Digby Day, who was running the Mm -hmm. program at the time, and he's he handed me the play that changed my life. Well, there's from the Mississippi from the Mississippi Delta and Marvin's Room were the first two plays that, as a as a high schooler, I saw. Um, at Hartford stage. And I thought, okay, I want to do this. If I can make an audience feel and do what these plays are doing. Oh, it's Scott McPherson. And it wasn't
0: meet me in St. Louis. Indeed. It was not Meet me in St. <laughs> Louis nor the pajama game.
1: Oddly. <laughs> no, it was this, you know, kind of edgy gritty, but also funny and also very moving work. Um, just blew my mind. Just totally blew me away. Um, but when I was away, Um, I was given a play that has an expletive in its title. (laughs) But I was given a play that it was like someone handed me a mirror and said, this is the next artist you're going to become. And I Mm. chased that play for a few years until I got the U.S. rights to it. It was a British play. And... um, and I produced it, and I just—I knew there was no looking back. I knew there was a whole breath there, so that was kind of my—was your,
0: your Rubicon?
1: It was for sure. So I was kind of the a bad boy. I was, which is a, a, a role I really loved to lean into. I was a bad boy in Chicago theater for sure. Um, well, there's quite a few. You had some, yeah. So it's a there. real competition or mentorship, oh. depending on how you look at it. And Tracy, you know, it's when Tracy was coming, he had written Bug and like all of that. It was, you know, even before August to Osage County and stuff. Oh, and, and it was Carrie like,
0: Coons, is she from? Yeah, too,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just these people who were like, oh my God, these people are extraordinary. I want to, the bar is so high. I sure. want to make art at that level. Mm-hmm. And now when I look, you know, kind of back on it, I'm like, right, that's still the bar that I want for the artists I'm inviting to OPC. Inviting here to Ojai, which is, we don't know if the play's gonna be perfect on the other side, there's probably no such thing, but yeah. the but something will have shifted because they're here. And mm-hmm. that you know has stayed strong and true to me. I had a very weird next chapter, which was I was asked to become the Associate Artistic Director and the Head of New Work at Hartford Stage, which was the theater that I had grown up at as a kid. And-
0: After Chicago.
1: Uh, after Chicago, yes, I moved from Chicago um, to Hartford. And one of the things that was extraordinary at the time, Michael Wilson, amazing guy, amazing director, was the artistic director and really took me under his wing. Um, and uh, But his long-term relationship with Horton Foote oh. extended past almost any other living artist's relationship with Horton. And so we ended up doing a number of Horton's plays, including uh, t- commissioning him to take his nine-play cycle and turning it into a three part of multi-day event. So I went from directing kind of these, you know, Adam Rapp and Mark Ravenhill and kind of, you know, Naomi Wallace and that kind of work that I love so much to this day, and really shifting it to like what does it mean to sit next to Horton Foot for six, seven years? And blew my mind, changed my life. Everything I know about theater changed again. And I, I absolutely credit the opportunity that I had with him to watch this genius all the way until the moment of his passing, you know, um, revisiting old work, writing new work. Um, it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary yeah. opportunity.
0: Yeah, the only famous person to come from my hometown, which is like a frozen little shithole in Western New York on the Great Lakes, was uh, George Abbott if that name means anything to you. This goes way back to the, you know, he he said the Pajama Game and Damn Yankees and Uh going back, uh, not Guys and Dolls, but all those old gangster plays back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. He Hmm. was working on a, he was 107 years old when he died. He was working on a revision of uh, Pajama Game the day he died. But yeah, he just... You know, there was absolutely nobody had ever even heard of him in my hometown. I didn't even know until I was like in my 30s. I just happened, when he died, I was like, oh, Forestville, New York. It must be some other Forestville. It wasn't mine. <laughs> no, he grew up in my town, and there was nothing. you think there would be a whole community around that, because he was like the, he was the, the master of Broadway for decades. Wow. I mean, he was the guy. He's married to Helen Hayes, and... Oh. He was just oh, yes. really... Uh, oh, yeah, now that you're saying that, yes. Yeah, George Abbott Theater, George Abbott Way. Uh-huh. I mean, he's got his name all over the Great White Way. But uh, nothing. I mean, wow, I thought, felt like, wow, I could have had a whole different trajectory. <laughs> <would've>, you know, <laughs> they could have had, had, had summer stock there. or something there. It's a beautiful place, you know, the woods and everything. would have been perfect for that. But, you know, I know, missed, missed uh, sliding doors, you know. Yeah, so... So, yeah, so Horton after foot, after wow. Hartford and Horton, um,
1: you know, I was getting these calls from Minneapolis and, and the Playwright Center, which is uh, 52 years old, uh, is, um, you know, arguably sort of the largest play development center in the country. So we make, mm. uh, we develop about 75 plays a year. <laughs> so kind of we're doing well, five. What kind of staff do you have for that? Uh, we have a staff, we have a big old staff. Uh, it's a year round, you know, it's 24 seven year round. Uh, we have uh, 50 writers that are chosen for fellowships every year. So those are the ones that are primarily developing their work. Mm. We have over 2,500 playwrights who are members of the Playwright Center from 23 countries around the world. And so, and we have a university program as well. So it's it's a big endeavor. Yeah, well it
0: sounds like it's that's, uh... I mean your your skill set must mesh neatly with Ohi. Yeah. How did you get recruited? What, what, tell us about that. About player center or Ohi? How did you get from? Yeah. How did you get from there to here? I know. I imagine you're still. This, this is not your full time gig, it is it? It is
1: not. You know. It is indeed a part time job. Yes, it sure. is.
0: Yeah. It's a big side hustle for sure. It is a big side hustle,
1: and it's one that I love. Like I just, I'm so. Um I, I, I'll just say that, you know, we had been, my family and I had been thinking about moving to, uh, to Southern California for quite some time. And, uh, you know, I think the word got out a little bit and sort of towards the end of their search, um, they were just reaching out to me. and Who's they? The Go search and committee me. and the search firm that they had hired okay. um, and kind of called a fourth and fifth time, like, are you sure? And I was like, well, maybe now that I'm moving to California, yeah. I should think about it. And it went pretty quickly from there to Did me that, sitting in this uh, chair. Did
0: that help uh, provide an impetus for moving to Southern California? Like, here's a perfect uh, uh, ladder of uh, opportunity or something? Well, Or you'd already made up your mind you were coming? Yeah, here.
1: we'd already sort of made up our yeah. mind. I think for me it was more like an opportunity to be part of the L.A. theater community. And, you know, it's a really interesting question, a sort of existential question for this organization, for for the conference going forward, because obviously these two weeks are so focused here in Ojai. And yet so many of the artists we work with are based throughout Southern California. And so yeah. rather than being a two week festival, are we thinking about expanding into something that is a bit more full year where we can come also be present here in Ojai?
0: more than just two weeks a year yeah that's been object of discussion or subject of discussion uh, for a long time uh few you, you know uh put a few uh, feelers out here and there i just don't know what that would look like i mean maybe some of these plays that get developed there maybe they could have you know when they're on the road they could make us make a stop here and do a or maybe the artist could do a residency with some of like, the high school kids or something. and That's exactly just like kind of the, what uh, the music about. festival has a Bravo program. Uh-huh. Look at the music yep. festival. It's a great yeah. model oh, of yeah. a nonprofit organization. In fact, that Jim Collins book, uh, Flywheel, they use that as one of the case studies of mm. how you build momentum. And mm. in the, in the music festival, you know, they're always hustling for money. It's hard work to put on a festival of that caliber, but... They really have a year-round presence here, even though, you know, the cultural legacy of like Stravinsky and Pierre Boulez and that really has very little to do with Ojai, but Mm. they still invest in the community in a way that really helps them, you know, just makes us proud.
1: Well, and I think, you know, you said this a moment ago, what does it mean to have a very tiny part-time staff? You know, that's what it was to pull together a two-week festival barely before, So now there's, I think, big questions about, yeah, what's ahead for us? Because I love the ideas about having residencies with artists in schools up here during the year. Kim Maxwell, who is one of the founders of... The founder, yeah. yeah.
0: Kim is the original gangster.
1: You know, she's a brilliant artist. She's a brilliant artist teacher. She is... One of the, and she's still part of the organization in such a deep way. And I think actually, you know, you're saying, how did they recruit me? But when I met Kim, that was actually our conversation, was one of the first moments where I thought, oh, this is actually more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and she and I are having a lot of conversations right now about all the things that are going to happen. And you know, she and her team do a beautiful job leading our youth workshop. Kanisha Foster, who's one of our artistic producers, who's running the intern program this year, We're looking at what we're talking about, it's just a lot of lateral learning and mentorship. So it's not just that we have a youth workshop program which is high school students based here in Ojai and Ventura County. And it's not just that we have an intern program and then we have the professional company. We're really looking at how we integrate those three opportunities. So that also the interns are mentoring the youth workshop folks and having time with them as well. And the professionals are mentoring both. So Re- is, mm. Kim and Kanisha in particular are really working hard with me this year to kind of reimagine what that could be. It's a huge opportunity for us. I'm really excited. It's one of the ways I think we can be really present, especially potentially in even though we're working with Thatcher and OVS partners right now, but really thinking about the public schools here in Ohi yeah. as well.
0: Most of kids, or most of Kim's kids come out of the out of the pub out of the public schools. They sure yeah. do, yeah, and, and they, they're, they're amazing. The best yeah. and they, these are kids that would never have that sort of an opportunity. Although some of them do come from artistic families, and I mean, it's part of their culture. But a lot don't. I mean, this is like a big big opportunity for them, and getting under the OPC wing, you know, through the youth workshop and. Helping with internships and so forth is like, I mean, what a, what a dream for even if they don't go on to a, a career in the arts, just having that exposure and understanding that there's, you know, this this leading edge of of expression. Mm. You know, I think they can. They, that's transferable to just about anything they would ever do.
1: And to have confidence that they can say yes to their own ideas, right? Whether they're a lawyer or a dentist or an accountant, mm-hmm. I don't need them to go to Broadway. I'm interested in how they're going to take the learning that they're getting, the kind of intention, the clarity, the focus and the self, uh, the self-made quality. I'm a self-made. I come from a very working class, single home, single parent home, broken family. So I I don't come to this with a lot of education this whole career. I don't come to this with a pedigree no zero i'm the least educated person you'll ever have on this podcast i guarantee you i don't know
0: about that i I didn't go to college barely got out of high school
1: so you understood that thing of like how the grit you know about Mm -hmm. how we make things and so i anyway i i really believe in um especially on this side of the pandemic you know how are how are we not limited by structures that are still wanting to limit and create um, you know barriers I'll I'll say this one other thing I don't know if this is a bit of a segue but you know um, part of the move going back to one of the questions you asked earlier part of the move from um, Besant Hill who's been such a great home to us for all these years and the Zalk theater there to Thatcher's auditorium is that we're basically moving from 175 seats to about 450 seats
0: Is that a little intimidating?
1: Oh my god yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to paper the house. Yeah. Well, and I think the pump. that's the thing is like, okay, it, 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 what does our, our rubric for success look like? And I don't know that it's going to be about 450 people every night. What I do know is that our partnership with Thatcher and sort of um, also their um, uh, desire to have Uh, uh, more access to tickets there as well in the theater Um, so we have festival passes that are on sale right now um, on our website Uh, this week uh, single tickets will go on sale um, but we have a whole chunk of tickets. Um, we're really centering kind of this idea that a colleague, Anna Sofia Villanueva, and I kind of worked on back at Plariot Center that I brought to OPC, which is around equitable access, which is how can we as an organization look at removing barriers for artists, for staff, for audiences, for board, et cetera where normally they don't have access to be able to participate in the, I mean, in the financially,
0: scenario. culturally.
1: All of it. Yeah. All of it. I think all of it. Where are those barriers? And financially certainly in the case of audiences is mm-hmm. showing up. It's also the same case with youth workshop. It's not a free opportunity to do. So Kim and I have really worked out a system of how can we ensure that there is access for anyone who wants this opportunity mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a very sturdy social infrastructure in Ohi. You know, there's it's not the kind of national scale, but we do have, you know, a lot of like I'm in the Rotary Club and have been for twenty some years, and we've given Kim grants from here and there for scholarships to get those kids in there, and other other projects that she and other artists have done, and anything to do with the the students. Yeah, really is. uh, What's your opinion
1: of like when you think about Ohi? summer 2023 and you're talking to some new guy strolling up on the sidewalk what do you think is what do you think the town is like what is the reflection of the town right now this community and how to reach out to people and say hey we want you at the festival, whether you pay one dollar or zero dollars or thirty dollars or whatever, we want you there. And how does that reflect to where the town is right now?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a little bit of that because you know the Ohio Music Festival, modern, you know, the contemporary music like that is not as challenging, mm-hmm. and it is not what you know people are most people are used to hearing, and it takes a lot of education to get, you know people to understand what's going on and to get past the veil to really feel the artistry in that. But people show up from this town just because of local pride. Mm. They want to feel like, you know, this is really something that sets our community apart, even though, you know, it isn't necessarily for me. I'll sit through it and I'll have moments of inspiration and enjoyment and just being in community in this beautiful place and hearing all these amazing musicians and so forth. I think that's an angle to pursue just to be part of something that is such a cultural treasure. And it's right in your own backyard. Mm.
1: It feels, I'll tell you, you haven't asked this question, but I'm going to ask it of myself in this moment, which is like, what yeah. are some of your challenges that you face right now? You know? And I think, um,
0: well, part, just to be fair for yeah. the listeners, I did have something like there down on there right now. So oh, you good did a question like that, but what, I we've gotten
1: so far off track. <laughs> I guess I would just say that, you know, as a new person coming in, you are you're not walking in neutrally, right? You're walking into perception. You're walking into assumption. You're walking into history. Um, And so much of that has been beautiful and incredible. Mm -hmm. I think I have real questions about the relationship between the conference and the town and this community and how we can do more than just drop in for two weeks and then pull back out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we have been talking about that with the residencies and so forth. I think Kim is your your person on that. She's the ambassador. Yeah.
1: And we have, you know, we just added some more people on the board. Like for me I was like, don't just add people, add OHI folks. Like I want more. Oh no, Carla, are... my friend Carla Melson's yes, on the board now. For Carla's example. Awesome. Yeah. Yes, we're having a huge party at Carla's house on Unfortunately, Saturday.
0: Unfortunately, I'm going to be in Nashville visiting my son, Carla, so I got oh, your text. Oh, but sorry. we love you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm missing everything. Is the last weekend of July. All the fun stuff is happening here.
1: Oh, yeah. And also, I mean, I think, you know, what Kathleen's
0: doing with the film, you know, mm-hmm, screening stuff. Kathleen yeah, I just had... Uh, uh, their summer screenings. I talked to those documentary filmmakers, which will be oh, the cool. episode up just before yours. I'll try to get this up this week if I can push on it because I know times times come and this is like right around the corner. It sure is. Yeah,
1: but I I think about that like what is, what is so special about Ohi in the summer and that this, the music festival, thinking about the film screenings, thinking about the playwrights conference. What are these things where Ohi's artists and the and the stories that they're telling in their different art forms, like how can that gather people back together in community? That's what I'm really excited about. I'm so excited to meet everyone new. So I just spend my days right now, like walking down the street saying hi and introducing hey, myself.
0: Because <laughs> um, we really want people to come, you know? Excellent. Well, hopefully a few people listen to this and make their way up to Thatcher. Um, plays.org. Anything else you want to... Any Any other uh, info you wanna uh, sling out there in the minutes we're well over an hour now, you know, oh okay, well then i'll I'll sling lightly and just say, yeah, check out the check out the
1: website link, check out the plays and the writers. Uh, they're gonna be kind of sharing a bunch of stuff out on our social media coming in the next couple of weeks so that you can be part of the process as we're developing over these next couple of weeks and also get your tickets ahead of time, but also you can just show up at the door. Uh, and we would love you to show up at the door. Um, there's going to be meals up there in between, and it's oh, going to yeah. be a really beautiful experience. Oh, that sounded experience.
0: different, the whole uh, box lunch uh, idea. That Indeed. sounds great. Yeah. Indeed.
1: Yeah, we want to keep people fed and happy between place. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. So great talking. Thank you.
0: Hey, everyone. Brett Brad Bradigan, just thinking out loud. Uh, The conversation with Jeremy was fascinating. I just am so thunderstruck by the artistic, incredible artistic opportunities in our lovely little town, and the fact that so many luminaries in the world come here every year to do some of their best work. And I know I've said it before, probably not on the podcast, but it's my feeling that that Ohio Music Festival, that four days in June, and that week when they're doing the readings with all the actors and the playwrights and the dramaturgs in August, that there's more focused creativity going on in Ohio during those times than in any other place on earth, comparably. I would love for somebody to try to argue me out of that, because maybe I'm missing something. I think about, like, Tanglewood, but that's more like a residency that's like six weeks long. Um... There's no other Telluride or Sundance festivals going on during that time, which probably that's more focused creativity going on there than anywhere else in the world. Maybe the Bolshoi Ballet during their summer program. But in that particular weekends, in that week, in Ojai, in the world, this is it, man. I think that's something that we can all be proud of. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.